If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Luke chapter 80, beginning at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would reach us with your word. Lord, that you would change us by the power of your word and spirit. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come now to the end of Luke chapter 8. And throughout this chapter, what has been tying it together are four stories of miracles that our Lord 
is performing. As we continue to study the Gospel of Luke together, we cannot forget what Luke told us at the beginning. That is, that this is not just a random narrative. This is not just a stream of consciousness that perhaps a breathless child would bring to you. This is an orderly account that Luke has made to teach us and to give purpose to each event. And so these four miracles in Luke chapter 8 show us the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We have already seen first His power over nature instilling the storm. We have seen His power over evil in exercising the demon. And now this week we will see His power over sickness and death. We see two miracles of two very, very different people. And yet, there is a commonality that brings them together that also brings them together with you and me. This morning we will see the power of our Lord Jesus Christ as we see two people who are in great need and in great need to meet Jesus. And then secondly, we will see Jesus as He meets them. We will see Jesus heals. And then thirdly, we will see Jesus go even beyond that. And we will see that Jesus gives life. Two people who are in great need. Jesus heals. And Jesus gives life. Well, let's begin then by entering into our story here at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, that is, He has returned to the town of Capernaum. He's come back across the sea, and the crowd welcomes Him, and they've been waiting for Him. You have to remember, the last time Jesus was here, He had done spectacular things. He had, in Luke chapter 7, He had healed a centurion's servant without even going to his home. And then he had raised a widow's son from the dead. And so you can imagine, the crowd is wondering what he will do next. I'm sure there are some who are hoping that he will visit them, solve their problems, heal their pain. And I'm sure there are others who are just excited to see what he might do next. The onlookers. But in the midst of this, Luke tells us there comes a man. In verse 41, the man's name is Jairus and he is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, we need to flesh this out a bit before we can understand exactly who Jairus is and what this means. Being the ruler of the synagogue was perhaps the most preeminent place in town for a Jew. To be a ruler of the synagogue meant that you were a captain of industry, a wealthy man, the equivalent of a CEO of a company. You would be someone who could support the work of the synagogue out of your own pocket. You would be a man of means and wealth. But more than that, the the job of the ruler of the synagogue was to arrange for the preacher each week. Now, If any of you have been in a church during a time in which the pulpit is vacant, or even more so if you have ever had the misfortune to be dubbed the keeper tracker of the pulpit supply, 
You know what a difficult job that is. You all don't worry about that. Just each week I show up. But not for the ruler of the synagogue. He would need to find someone each week. And you can imagine what would go along with that. Jairus. Last week he was pretty dry. Can you get somebody with a little bit more pep? Jairus. Last guy was all over the place. Some more organization, please. And he would have to find someone, schedule it, arrange it, and deal with the congregation. He was also a man of piety because part of the job of the ruler of the synagogue was to read the scriptures publicly and to lead in prayer. This is no ordinary man. And he comes to Jesus. He comes not only to Jesus, he comes and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet and begs him. Now imagine that. Imagine if the CEO of Walmart or Kohl's or Shell came running in here and fell down at his feet begging and pleading. Worse yet, let's assume that there's dirt and mud and he's getting in the midst of it. You see, he's at the end of his rope. Luke tells us that his daughter, his only daughter, 12 years old, is dying. Picture that in your minds. Close your eyes and picture your daughter or your granddaughter, a sibling or a cousin, An adorable 12-year-old little girl. The kind of girl that you want to walk up to and, and touch her hair and say, oh, you look very pretty today. To caress her cheek, lift up her chin, rub her shoulder. And now, she's dying. This isn't the way the world's supposed to work, is it? It's the old people that are supposed to die first. We're not supposed to bury our children So you can imagine that this man of power and wealth and honor and stature has been brought low. The only thing he cares about now is his little girl. He doesn't care about his clothes being dirty. He doesn't care if others laugh at him or mock at him. He just wants his daughter to be well. So he comes to Jesus He'd probably heard about Jesus. He'd heard that Jesus had healed. He'd heard that Jesus had performed miracles. And this was his hope. And I think in the first place, this helps us to think through what it means to come to Jesus. I dare say that for some of us, we think that we do not come to Jesus. We cannot come to Jesus unless we have worked up some kind of supernatural love and affection for Jesus. It's as if approaching Jesus requires goo-goo eyes. We have to somehow have a poetic love that will spring forth from us in couplets before we can approach Jesus. But that's not the case here, is it? Jairus doesn't love Jesus. Jairus isn't even sure about Jesus Jairus isn't coming to Jesus with an intellectual curiosity. He's not trying to get his worldview straightened out. He doesn't have insightful and useful seeker questions. No. What Jairus has is desperation. What Jairus has 
is an end to himself. He knows there's nothing he can do. He knows that the world is coming, crashing down upon him, and all of the joy that he has known for a dozen years is about to end in tragedy. So he comes to Jesus. Now, this is insightful for us because oftentimes we look at our circumstances, we look at the providence of God that comes to us, and we only judge it according to what we want and where we are. And we look and we see and we wonder, God, why is this happening? Can't you work it out a little bit better? Haven't you thought this through? But you see, so often in our lives, not just in the pages of Luke's Gospel, God brings us to a hard providence, to a world collapsing in on us to bring us to Jesus, to His feet. And when Jairus comes, he finds a Jesus who is more than willing and able to help. Jesus begins to go off with him to his home. And then Luke gives us a bonus. Two stories for the price of one. There is a second person in the crowd. And she could not be more different than Jairus. Where Jairus is wealthy, she is poor. Where Jairus is honored and has authority, she is an outcast who has none. She is even unwilling to publicly come to Jesus. Because you see, she had suffered from a malady for 12 years. Ironically, the exact length of time that Jairus' daughter had been alive. While Jairus had enjoyed the blessing and love and joy of his daughter, she had endured pain and suffering and heartache. For 12 years she had bled. And this was not just a medical problem. For you see, the Torah had prescribed that if you had an issue of blood, you were unclean. What did that mean? That meant you couldn't touch anyone or they would be unclean. That meant no one could touch you or they would be unclean. It meant you couldn't go to worship at Jairus' synagogue because you were unclean and you weren't supposed to be in worship. It meant that you had lost everything. Family. A comforting touch. She was completely isolated and alone. She had lost everything. Luke tells us that she had spent all her living on physicians in verse 30, 43. And yet she was no better. She was the epitome of desperate despair. She tried everything. But she was also afraid. She was afraid to go up to Jesus, and with good reason, because if anyone who was religious in the crowd, if Jairus himself perhaps had seen her, they would have been horrified and said, get away, get away. Don't make us unclean. Could you imagine if Jairus had seen her, he would have said, don't go near Jesus. I need him to help me. You can't make him unclean. Get away from here. She was embarrassed, very likely, for she had tried everything that she could and knew how, and nothing was any better. Maybe you know exactly what that feels like. 
tried everything you can to make things better. Doctors, travel, jobs, books, tapes. But your problem will not leave you. She had likely heard the stories of what Jesus had done. And so even though she was afraid, almost too afraid to hope, she decided on a last desperate gamble. Likely there was far more superstition than faith in what she had done. She had reserved Jesus till the very last and now was left with no choice. Do you reserve Jesus for the very last resolution of your problems? Do you exhaust every other option before you go to the feet of Jesus? What a waste of time and money. She faced no immediate crisis like our friend Jairus. It had been something that had built up over time, over 12 years, but sometimes that makes it worse, doesn't it? The constant pain, the constant heartache. So she comes to Jesus. And we see that Jesus heals. Now imagine the scene before you. A crowded marketplace with with thin roads leading in and out and, and buildings hemming people in. As they jostle and can't move, there's no lanes where people walk. It's just a huge mass of people pushing, shoving, elbowing, tripping. Jesus is going through this crowd. And remember our friend Jairus is, is there with him. What would you do if you were Jairus? Well, you would, you would grab Jesus by the elbow and say, Come on, Jesus, it's this way. You'd push people out of the way. You've got to get Jesus to your daughter as quickly as possible. And jostling and moving and bumping. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. What? Come on! What? Jesus says, in verse 45, Who was it that touched me? Close your eyes for a minute and picture the look on Jairus' face. What? Come on! This is an emergency. And then, so we don't have to wonder what Jairus thought, so we don't have to wonder what the apostles thought. You know, we don't even have to wonder what we would think. Peter supplies it for us. Peter is kind of our voice. Because we would say the same thing. Master, look around. Everybody's touching you. And the word that he uses here in verse 45, he says, the crowds are pressing in on you. It's, it's a word that is also used in the parable of the sower about how the thorns press and choke the growth. It's what you would do in a wine press. It's not just touching... It's, I can't breathe, Lord, because his elbow's in my rib cage. What do you mean? Jesus, as calm as ever, says, Someone touched me. I perceive that the power went out from me. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Does Jesus really not know 
Is Jesus like some kind of personal electric socket that when people touch him, arcs fly out of him and he knows he's now at 98% power instead of 100? No. Jesus has just put a stop to everything. To Jairus, to the crowd, to Peter, to James, to John. Everyone is stopped. Jesus has said, wait, I have a divine appointment. And he does it in such a way that no one will question it. There's no movement at all. And you see, what had happened was this woman had come and she had snuck up behind him. She was certain that she was not being seen. She was being as careful as possible and she touched the hem of his garment. Now, you have to understand, this is not as if she was crawling along the ground and she got the hem of his pants. No. You see, what happened was the garment was almost like a a poncho, if you will, that was on him. And on each of the corners, there would be a tassel, a ceremonial, ritual, purity tassel prescribed by the law. And what you do when you're a man and you're wearing this sort of thing is you will take one side of it and fling it over your shoulder so that you can walk more swiftly. And the tassel will go about halfway down your back. And you see, she came and she touched Jesus on the most ritually pure part of his body. If anyone had known this, they would have been horrified. How could you do this to the teacher? How could you make Jesus unclean? But you see, this is where Jesus is not like anyone else. You see, she touches him and he does not become unclean. She becomes clean. She touches him and he does not become diseased. She becomes whole. Whoever comes into contact with Jesus is made whole. She understands this. She's immediately been healed. And you can almost picture her trying to walk backwards quietly, softly, staying out of sight. And no, Jesus has stopped. Oh, now he's asking who's touched him. Oh, and he still won't leave. Why is Jesus pressing the point? It's not because he needs to know. You have to understand that with Jesus, his primary point of interest is not himself. It is you. And so what Jesus does is Jesus stops and gets her attention because she needs more than healing of the body. She needs healing for the soul. This is not just a health issue. Jesus knew her pain. He knew her isolation. And he did not want to humiliate her, but he wanted her to be made fully whole. Jesus does not partway heal. He wanted her to be made whole in all of who she is. What would have happened if she would have slipped away? She would have remained an outcast in society. No one would have known she would have been healed. She would have never known the embrace of love, the touch of a comforting person. She would have been isolated forever. Sure, she would not have bled anymore, but her heart would have been bleeding on the inside. Jesus won't have that. He stops. In the middle of a journey to save a dying girl, He stops. Because the soul of this woman needs him. 
And He brings her back out into the open. He brings her into the open so that she can come into society and perhaps more importantly, so that she can know she has a relationship with Him. This is what Jesus does. She comes to Him with a halting faith, but real. And Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She no longer has superstition. She has faith and trust in Jesus. She's no longer alone, but she has been adopted into the family of God. Would it surprise you to know that in all of the Bible, the only person that Jesus calls daughter is this woman. The one whom he knows needs a family more than anyone. He has brought her into relationship with him. She's no longer alone. She's no longer desperate, but now she knows peace. He says, go in peace. She has physical peace. She has spiritual peace. And she has social peace with those around her. Your problems may be very different from hers. But the solution is the same. It is to trust in Jesus and in His power and in His love and to find hope and peace in Him. Well, Luke concludes the interluding story and we come back to our friend Jairus. And we see that not only does Jesus heal, He gives life. Now, you can imagine the scene before you. The crowd would have been in awe at what had just happened. The woman would have been rejoicing at the freedom that she had been given in Christ. Jairus would have been filled with hope, you can imagine, while annoyed by the delay, now he has just seen Jesus heal this woman instantaneously. And you can imagine what's going through his mind is, he's going to heal my daughter. What joy on his face. Just then, Luke tells us, even as Jesus is speaking, someone comes from his house. And I don't know if it was an uncaring servant. I don't... I don't know if there was more said than is recorded, but somehow in my mind, what, what I picture is Sergeant Joe Friday. He walks up to this man and says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now imagine if you're Jairus. You've just been at the mountaintop. You're sure your daughter's going to be healed. You're sure life is going to be good. And here comes a man, and in a monotone voice, flatly says, she's dead already. Stop worrying about it. Can you imagine what's going through Jairus' heart now? The disappointment, the pain, even the anger. Why, Jesus, why? You know, you could have come back and healed her. She wasn't dying. Why did you stop? Why did you ask who touched me? Why couldn't we have gone if only? It's all over now. There's no hope. And you could picture the fear gripping Jairus. 
Jesus will speak to him. We'll get to that in just a minute. But you have to understand that for Jairus right now, the story is over. There is no hope. And sometimes that's what comes to us in the midst of our story. We don't know there's still an end God is preparing. We're sure this is the end. We're ready to give up. And you see, what happens here is we must not judge God by our circumstances and our sight. God has His own purpose. There is more to this story. There is more to your story. And so they go on. How quickly hope is lost. They come to the home and what had been a hospital is now a funeral parlor. They've already brought in the professional mourners. They are weeping and wailing. You have to understand the culture here that when you went to the house of someone who had died, it wasn't like we experience in our circles where people were black and they're quiet and they sniffle and they hold hands. No, they would bring in professional mourners to wail and rip at their hair and beat their breast and make a big ruckus. Jesus walks in here. Before Jesus was their hope, now they have no hope. And Jesus says, do not worry. She's only sleeping. And how do they respond? With laughter. Mocking laughter. Ridicule. The kind that you see out on the schoolyard. Who's the guy that thinks she's asleep? (laughs) Piece of work he is. Doesn't he realize she's dead? (coughs) You have to understand that Jesus is not saying to them, you didn't take her pulse properly. She is dead. Luke tells us, he does not say, they think she's dead. What does Luke say in the text? They know she's dead. You see, but what is going on here is, Jesus is not denying the reality of her death. He is telling them (coughs) that death is not the end. You see, the reality of the way the world approaches Jesus is to want Him to fail. To want Him to come up short so that they can feel confident in their misery and their doubt and their unbelief. This is the response that the world gives. It wants to be disappointed in Jesus. But you see, this is about so much more than healing. We see what it's really about is faith and life. Jesus could have healed her without even going there. Couldn't He have? He did that in the same town one chapter before. Jesus could have kept going through the crowds and gotten there in time. Jesus, being God, could have sustained her until He arrived. So we have to look at what Luke tells us. And this is not a coincidence. It is not an accident that she died. It is not an accident that these people are here. Jesus wants exactly this to happen. He wants Jairus to know that if you trust in Me, there is absolutely nothing that I cannot do. Not even death stops 
Jesus. And you see, this is true for you and for me also, isn't it? We need to stop looking too closely at providence around us and our events. And we need to start looking to see what Jesus is trying to show us. How He is trying to mold us into His image. And here Jesus is showing the faith of Jairus. It's what He had said before, hadn't He? He said to him, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And she will be well. The word that Jesus uses, the way He uses it is very vivid. It's When He says only believe, it's almost as if He's saying, make an act of faith now. Start now, Jairus. And let's see where it takes us. You see, Jesus is giving Jairus the same guidance that He gave the woman. In verse 48, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And now he is saying, Only believe, same word, and she will be well. The key here is not you are wealthy and she is poor. It is not that she was sick and this one is dead. The key here is to have faith in the living God-man, Jesus. This is what we are called to, isn't it? We are called to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Against all evidence. How much does a sin weigh? What color is it? What's its thickness? You can't observe it, can you? What is the sound of forgiveness? Or its mass? Or its volume? You see, we are called to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In spite of what we can or cannot see. Because He who formed the world and who created you, He is your Redeemer. We are to trust Jesus for the grace to endure the trials that are set before us. No matter what they are, to know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. When times seem black, He is with us. And we're to trust Him with our hope. The story ends here on a happy note. But I want you to understand why. Jesus says to the girl, Come. Rise. Not because that's the way... Bible movies should end. But because he wants right here and right now to give to Jairus and to give to you and to me proof that he is able. And that when you trust him, he comes through. He would still have been Jesus. He would still have been God if this girl would have stayed dead. But the grace of Jesus Christ to show us in a glimpse His goodness, His power, and the hope that He brings. That by one simple action, He rewards the faith of a man who is desperate. Jesus cares. Do you notice what He does here at the end? It's almost humorous. He's just saved her from death. 
And he looks at the parents and he says, you should give her something to eat. You see, he cares for the littlest of details. Jesus knows you. He knows exactly what you need. Come to him today. Come to him even if you are desperate, especially if you are desperate. Do not try and make yourself worthy. Do not try and work up the perfect love. Come to Jesus because only there will you find hope and life. Amen.